Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And recently we talked about objects. We talked about the world of objects we live in, the way we become attached to different objects. But another huge part of that is, of course, how do we create objects? How do objects enter our world uh, for us to relate to them? Also, um, this idea that... You know, our ability to make objects easily, which we talked about being one of the the hallmarks of the 20th century and perhaps the reason for an uptick in collecting things and hoarding, um, you know, that this idea of putting our hands on something easily is the reason for our object fetishism. So, of course, we look at something like 3D printing Mm -hmm. and we begin to extrapolate the future and the future of our collection of objects and our making of objects. Right, because I mean, one of the big things about creating objects is, of course, manufacturing, the ability to make objects that are the same. Um, and this is important to varying degrees. Uh, I mean, just on a very, on an aesthetic level, there's like an amulet you like, then somebody is probably pouring, using a mold to pour those amulets up to make identical amulets via manufacturing. If you're having something that requires precise parts in it, then you need all the parts to be the same so that you can mass produce that item, be it a gun, an automobile, or whatever. I mean, obviously, manufacturing is is crucial to our modern object field technological world. I love how you say amulet, like like in the world of wizards and warlocks. Yeah, Yeah, amulets, you know. Well, it's sort of a niche market. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, still, I mean, there are amulets, uh, as we discussed in the Objects podcast, there are amulets in the, in the sense of something magical or religious that I might buy, say, in an amulet market somewhere, uh, like in, in Bangkok or something. But then there's, of course, there's jewelry, uh, jewelry that is molded, jewelry mm-hmm. that is all the same, um, action figures, uh, et cetera, bits of art that are mass uh, produced. Okay, yeah, so I think what you're getting at here is that we are now at a turning point in mass production, which is actually now in a more customized realm thanks to 3D printing. And 3D printing has been around for about 20 years, but we're at a point uh, technologically where we can really take this or the industry can really take this and do something with it um, in a very significant way. Yeah, because earlier on it was more expensive 3D printing. It was more of a, more about just creating prototypes. Mm-hmm. But we're already in an age where, like, we have a 3D printer. There is a 3D printer here at How Stuff Works that we purchased for about 600 bucks, and we can print out not anything, but uh, a surprising <laughs> variety of of small plastic things can be printed out. So everyone has seen 3D printing. I mean, it's it's it doesn't really do us any good to waste a lot of time discussing what it is. But but essentially, we're talking about um, additive manufacturing mm-hmm. as opposed to subtractive manufacturing. Subtractive manufacturing means I have, say, a sheet of metal mm-hmm. or I have a block of wood and I look at it and I, and I know that the object I want to produce is inside of that. So if it's in a block of wood, then I have to carve it down or I have to have um, an assembly line that carves it down. If it's in a sheet of metal, then I have to have uh, a press that, that punches that, uh, that particular piece out of the sheet metal. Or, if it, or it could be a sheet of wood and you're using uh, you know, some sort of uh, um, mechanical saw device to um, uh, create the, the part that you need out of that wood. So I'm taking a hole and reducing it to the part I need or to the thing I need. And then... We have additive manufacturing, and this means that there is no large piece that I'm cutting cutting things down from. I'm not whittling something out of a log. I'm starting from the very tiniest bit and building up. Yeah, what I think is so cool about that is that you're taking the sculpting process, mm-hmm. and you, which you would normally do in, in manufacturing, 
and you're sort of abstracting it uh, into a CAD file. Yeah. Which then does the sculpting for you. Um, so as you say, you're, you're not taking away, you're sort of depositing layer upon layer. And I like to think of it, uh, in terms of an inkjet printer, right? Because that's something everybody is familiar with. You've got your ink that is deposited when the printer goes back and forth and back and forth on a piece of paper. Well, 3D printing is similar, except that instead of just going back and forth and back and forth, it can go forward and backwards and up and down. And that allows you to get a good spread of depositing uh, whatever sort of polymer or plastic that you have. So or rather than having ink, you have this plastic and it's this sculpting process, this layer upon layer. And in traditional 3D printing so far, when I talk about the layers, I'm talking about uh, the thickness of about a sheet of paper. Yeah, and there are various types of 3D printers. Of course, they're the ones that just uh, essentially are printing with um, with a with a heated plastic mm-hmm. that then cools. Uh, and then you have even more. You have crazier versions that are using, say, um, that are using metal, that are using other other uh, substances, curing them with lasers or ultraviolet light. Sometimes it's two different types of uh, materials that are coming together and chemically curing into mm-hmm. a single one. So. There's 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 a lot going on not only at the the physical level but also sometimes at the chemical level. Um, it's it, it's some pretty fascinating stuff. The one one we have here that you you'll be able to see in some videos is just a simple um, heated plastic uh, situation though. Yeah, and that's the direct 3D printing that you just referenced. Um, so that's going in multiple layers of material over the same surface. And then, as you've mentioned too, there's binder 3D printing, and that is light direct 3D printing. It uses inkjet nozzles to apply a liquid and then form each new layer. But under uh, unlike direct printing, binder printing uses two separate materials that come together to form each printed layer. Uh, it's quicker, and you can use more colors and materials. Yeah. And then there's the photopolymerization, and this is a 3D printing technology where you have the drops of liquid plastic, and they are exposed to that laser uh, beam of ultraviolet light. And SLS, this is a really interesting one. This is used a lot. It's called sintering, and it relies on a laser to melt a flame-retardant plastic powder, which then solidifies to form the printed layer. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in terms of a certain dress that a certain burlesque queen wore. Um, But that is awesome because it really does give you the flexibility and the strength of materials to create these objects. Yeah, and there's that, and another one we're going to get to also involves the same technique, except it's using a titanium powder, mm-hmm. and the laser hits the powder, fuses it together uh, into you know one little bit of titanium. Okay. But it's not a dress. You'll find out what it is later. It's yes. not a bulletproof dress. No. Um, but all of this is really cool and it's very important because, I mean, it really has implications in nearly every corner of our existence. I mean, not only can you dream up and make whatever you want uh, from a CAD file, uh, but 3D printing really will be incorporated into everything you touch. Yes. Um, you know, from the airplane you board to the medicine you consume. And we'll talk more about this. We'll talk more about the current applications and the future applications. But I just wanted to point this out, that this is not just some sort of like, oh, cool, I, I would love to have this in my home. It's going to be like the next thing that early adopters are looking at in terms of technology. It really is going to be a game changer in how we live and how we consume. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the the cooler examples I was running across, in part because it cascades over into some of my hobbies, uh, but I think it also serves as a good example, was an article uh, called Warhammer at War, How Home 3D Printers Are Disrupting Miniature Gaming by Alex Castle. Uh, and this was uh, this is an article from, from January. And uh, he was taking a look at miniature 
wargaming. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, this, is, of course, is the idea that you're playing like a role-playing game or uh, a military strategy game on a tabletop, and you have little miniatures to represent individuals or individual forces. Now, of course, you could use just a little cardboard cutout. You could use a, a piece of paper with a number, but as we all know, it gets us more into a game if we have an object that we can uh, we can identify with more. It mm-hmm. looks more like the thing it is. It looks interesting, so we attach to it more. In Warhammer um, uh, miniatures, and most mini- a lot of miniature gamings anyway, anyway um, you'll buy the piece unpainted and or unassembled. So you're, there's also that Ikea factor level yeah, involved. Yeah, I was going to say that, that I did it and there's a sense of pride, right? Yeah, so you get it in the mail, it's like, oh, it looks really cool. And then I actually painted it, and I might have painted it really well. Some people out there paint these things to within an inch of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, you know, not so well, but still they did it, so they have even more personal attachment to it. Now, to get a fine resin model kit like this, you can spend you know upwards of uh, twenty fifty dollars on a single figure like that's uh, smaller than your pinky. Um, I am, am guilty of this at times as well because it's just it's, if you want something that's that fine a quality, there aren't that many people putting it out, mm-hmm. and then you have to pay their prices for it. So enter three D printing. So suddenly we have a situation where people have the ability to, lo and behold, print small little miniatures in. Um, Pretty awesome degree of detail. Not quite up to the detail of these uh, resin resin molded kits mm-hmm. that you can buy for twenty to fifty dollars, but still decent decent quality. So uh, the article really dealt with first of all the question of well, how does this affect uh, the bottom line for a company like Games Workshop who puts out these models and and their whole business line is selling more and more of these models to hobbyists. Uh, because we're fast approaching the age where someone could instead, I mean, right now, if you wanted to steal a bunch of, uh, of these things, you would have to physically steal them from a store or off the back of a truck. Or if you were really elaborate, you would get them and create your own mold of them and start manufacturing themselves. But there's a lot of work involved in mm-hmm. that. But 3D printers see us fast approaching the, the age where it would be equivalent to, to stealing music or a movie. If we want to steal music or you know an album, then you just need to go to the right slum on the internet, find the right link, and download it to your machine. And then if it's if it's music, then you just transfer it over to your listening device. If it's a book, you just transfer it over to your reading device or print it out. But then we'll re- but we're reaching the age where you would just get the CAD drawing, mm-hmm. uh, the, just the computer assisted drawing for that particular object, that miniature, say, transfer that to your machine, and then print it out in your printer, and then you have. The little device, and you have it basically free. I mean, just the cost of printing it out uh, with the plastic in your printer. Uh, but the the thing that uh, Alex Castle argues in this article is that that's not the real danger to companies like uh, like Games Workshop. It's not the idea that everyone can print their own Games Workshop figures. It's that everyone will soon have the ability to not only print but design their own figures. And I, that doesn't mean necessarily like every every Joe out there is designing his own, but it means that. Instead of having this one particular artistic vision you can print from, you can print from anything. It's the, the, the democratization of design. And, and that is what uh, he's arguing is the real, uh, the real risk to uh, object manufacturing companies like Games Workshop. Right, because wargaming miniatures really represents a microcosm of, of what's going on in the larger world or what will go on, right? Because you're right. talking about mom-and-pop shops that carry these. We're talking about a community of people mm-hmm. who gather around this, right, who trade ideas about it and their enthusiasm about it. And so if you can just go ahead and print what you want, then you remove you know, the storefront, you remove some of the community, although I think some of that's still alive 
uh, via online. But it does kind of give you an idea of what's going to happen at the macro level when this becomes more a part of our life, this ability just to print off objects. I wanted to mention, too, this democratization of manufacturing, of, of creativity, will also get you things like a sad little Keanu Reeves miniature, if you want. <laughs> have you seen this? I did not see this one. No, no. Yeah, it's a little miniature, and he kind of looks like the thinker, although he doesn't have his head in his hands like the famous sculpture, the mm-hmm. thinker, does, but he, he looks pretty downtrodden, and you can just hang him on your man- monitor or really your shelf at home. Yeah, I mean, it drives, because ultimately one of the questions that comes to mind with that is how many people want that? How many people need that? I don't know. I mean, I have a connection to him through the Matrix movies, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I've got to, I really have to have a sad little Keanu Reeves. On the other hand, it makes me kind of uh, happy inside to know <laughs> that it exists. But see, that yeah, the 3D printing is going to allow for a, an, an age where objects like this can exist for basically one or two people. There's... Uh, it, in a sense, it's mass-produced, but without any of the overhead. Like, I think back to publishing, right? Like, uh, how much does a, a paperback book tend to cost? Like, you're, you're talking, what, something like 8 to 10 bucks these days? Yeah. And so much of the, the costs that are uh, that are wound up in printing, I mean, it's it's in the actual printing of the book, the, tra- the transportation of the book, the storage of the book, um, the uh, the 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 amount of the that's going to go to the company that's mm-hmm. producing the book, and then there's also just a little bit in there for the author generally as well. Um, and so when you have an ebook, uh, generally when you're paying like say 14 bucks for an ebook, you're paying um, an inflated price because you you do not have to worry about for the most part where you're storing mm-hmm. that ebook, about transporting that ebook. Yes, there are some digital costs in, entailed there, but you don't need a warehouse, you don't need a fleet of trucks. So we're, we're going to see, and, and already there are people who are saying, you know, all these, these e-books, and not all of them, but certainly the bigger name e-books, they're overpriced because they're still priced as if they were physical books. Um, but they are immediate, so you're paying for that as well. Yeah, yeah. But see, see, but we're going to see a similar thing then with objects where people are going to, going to realize, hey, actually, I shouldn't have to pay as much for this thing uh, because it doesn't really exist in space until I make it exist in space on my end or at the local 3D printing kiosk. Right. Well, and when the technology becomes so cheap and ubiquitous that it's just another option. Yeah. You know, you can either, uh, you can get this as an add-on. You can customize something. Um, I also wonder about, you know, the arbiters of taste out there. Those people who say, like, yeah. this is the thing you should buy and, you know, I'm knowledgeable about it because I'm the design expert. Um, you know, when it, the, as soon as you get more democracy in design, some of that will fall away. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what are the implications of that? Who knows yet? Um, does that mean that, you know, bad design is going to rule the world? Probably not. Probably not. Because for the most part, well, this is arguable, but bad literature doesn't rule the world. Bad art doesn't rule the world. Bad music doesn't rule the world. That, of course, the the internet allows for there to be a lot more bad art and literature at your fingertips because it's kind of. I mean, often people talk about it as the age of the amateur because everything then anybody can publish a book on the mm-hmm. internet if they just write something and then find out where to publish it. And anyone can get some music up on SoundCloud or on Bandcamp or something. Um, and then we could see a similar thing with design. But we were talking about this the other day. To what extent, then, do we have to worry about it becoming like MySpace? Because MySpace, uh, for those of you old enough to remember, uh, was the the pre-Facebook social media page. And unlike Facebook, where you're only allowed to do so much to the design, 
MySpace just let you do whatever you wanted to do the design, which meant that you had friends, when you went to their MySpace page, it was completely unreadable. They would use just an, an obscene collection of colors. There would be sparkle fonts and GIFs and music playing in the background and videos, and then your machine would lock up and catch on fire just trying to look at their page. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, when, there's, when there's a democracy of design like that and people can do whatever they want, uh, there's some bad things that are going to happen. So, so yeah, do, do we end up in a situation where there's just we're just overflowing in just bad objects, bad sculpture art, bad poorly conceived figurines and amulets and what have you, and, and as we'll discuss later, clothing items, because ultimately we're talking about all manner of things that exist physically. Yeah, and I can't help but think about something like Pinterest, which mm-hmm. is, you could say, a democracy in taste, right, or interests, and design is certainly one of those. And But although Pinterest has done something very interesting, they have put a lot of sort of protocols in place about how you upload, what you upload, mm-hmm. and the quality of that. Oh, okay. So that when you see it visually, there's a cohesiveness to it. That's the reason why I think Pinterest works so well, um, is that those images are all, they all have something that's... Um, that's tantalizing to the eye. And again, it's in, in really good quality. It's reproduced in, in good quality. So you sort of wonder if, you know, um, and this is, this is stuff that we'll talk about more in our second part of this podcast about the future, but you sort of wonder if companies will begin to take that on. If, say, like Amazon says, you can now have a customization uh, option via 3D printing. Yeah. And customization is going to be huge because we've talked about, you know, that I can, I can make new things that I want. Uh, but but we'll also have the ability to tweak things slightly. Like one of the big things uh, that, that comes to mind instantly is um, is ergonomics. You know the idea that something will you know fits in the hand and 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 works with your body correctly, right? Yeah. Be it uh, say just a, be it a keyboard or some sort of handheld device or of course clothing. But the idea with 3D printing is that every time you you make every time you bring the object into the real world. After you, you take that CAD file and, and transfer that into an actual object, you have the ability to customize it to the individual, which means color, which means making it um, the, the right size for their particular hand, mm-hmm. left hand, right hand situations, actual clothing sizes, etc. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we are going to talk about what Didavantes, guns, and uh, gamers have in common. All right, we're back. We're talking about 3D printing, which, uh, you know, on the surface is just a word that you see in a lot of headlines on the Internet, along mm-hmm. with some sort of weird photo of something being printed with some, with a thing that looks kind of like a, a crazy futuristic uh, uh, slushy machine. <laughs> but we're also talking about the uh, what is essentially the, the unholy gateway through which the Internet can take physical form and destroy the world. It's the, it is the, the mouth by which the Internet may vomit into the real world. Involvement the the sediments of plastic upon us. Yes, that is the future. Phase. Everything that is that is that is thought of on the internet, you know, because on the internet we have a dem- democracy of ideas, and imagine all of that to take physical reality, and 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 then you can imagine all of the best and worst case scenarios therein. All right. Well, before we start uh, prognosticating about the future, let's start talking about what we have currently available or what has been put out there by yes. 3D printers, because it's pretty interesting. Um, you had mentioned ergonomics mm-hmm. and the ability to customize. Uh, well, it turns out that in uh, 2012, University of Warwick 
uh, some researchers there created a simple and inexpensive conductive plastic composite that can be used to produce electronic devices. Okay, so what does all of that mean? Well, that means that gamers could have a really cool controller that is ergonomically fit to their hands that they could print out. Now, I think that if you're a gamer, if you're not a gamer, that probably is like, so what? But I think that if you spend mm-hmm. a significant amount of time, um, you know, playing games, then this is really actually a very cool thing because the ability to customize that means that you probably can get that, you know, sh- uh, shave off that one eighteenth of a second uh, to do whatever it is that you're doing in the you game. You blast the enemy, you know, et cetera. It really, it would change your life. Life change. It could. It could. Uh, the material that they are using is called Carbomorph, and then that's what enables users to lay down electronic tracks and sensors as part of a 3D printed structure. So, very cool. And then, of course, we uh, there's there's the realm of jewelry and dresses. Now, already, even if you just go on on Etsy, you can find some a, a lot of different opportunities to purchase uh, 3D printed jewelry. Because right now, the the technology is easily at the level where you could design and print jewelry. Like if we really mm-hmm. wanted to, with uh, our 3D printer here at work, we could design some jewelry, print it out, and uh, you know it, it would look pretty good. I mean, because the, the the level of detail, even by the thing we have here, yeah. is is pretty phenomenal. Because it's layering, you know, all these layers are are, are coming together, uh, it's building it from the ground up, and you can have a single piece of plastic that has details inside it even that you just would not be able to produce through uh, through other means of, of production. Right. And right now, the, the jewelry that is produced uh, by 3D printing is, you know, you can look at it and say that was 3D printing because there's a sort of style to it yeah. that um, is being mandated by the materials that you can use right now and um, by some of the designs or the CAD files. Yeah, most of them are not you know, titanium or anything. We're yeah, that, yeah. That sort of 3D printing plastic that you, you see in most of these operations. And awesome geometric shapes, very sculptural looking. But mm-hmm. you can look at a piece and go, ah, that was 3D printed. Right. But then there's the world of, of dresses and uh, and fine evening wear. Which brings us to uh, yes. Dita Von Thies. Of course. Uh, New York designer Michael Schmidt and architect Francis Batoni created a 3D printed dress for the burlesque dancer, Dita Von Thies. And it is so, I mean, it is beautiful to look at and it is amazing. And I will say this, like the dimensions of her body are architecturally suited uh, to this endeavor. Um, it's a floor-length nylon gown, and it was made using the centering, the SLS method, where the material is built up in layers from plastic powder fused together with a laser. There are spirals based on the golden ratio that were applied to a computer rendering of her body uh, so that the garment fit her exactly. But not only that, I mean, just, again, if you're talking about the golden ratio... And you're talking about someone with her proportions, then you can really see this design, um, and, and the golden ratio at play. Mm-hmm. So that's a very cool thing. Now it's, it's worth uh, pointing out that the dress was not printed as one piece or anything like that. It's a, no. they, they designed it and it's essentially, it's kind of like plastic chain mail as a dress. It's the kind of dress that Dita Von Tees would wear for a photo shoot, but not necessarily the kind of dress that the average person or, or even Dita Von Tees would say wear to dinner. It's, it's, I don't know. She's <laughs> she might. Okay, she, she might. might. But, she um, puts the effort in on. She does. You know. uh, but yeah, seventeen pieces. Yeah. So they print out each piece, and then the pieces are um, are 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 then you have to blow them off, deal with any you know dust or flap that needs to be removed from it in mm-hmm. some cases, and then uh, then I believe they applied a coating uh, to them as well, mm-hmm. and then you have to uh, stitch them. And together. They painted it too. Painted, yeah. 
Yeah, but it really is is a gorgeous piece, and actually reminds me of something that you would see in Blade Runner. Yeah, um, I can't yeah, remember it, the actress who played the part, uh, but uh, that I mean that looks that's Sean Young. Yeah, so yeah. it looks like something Sean Young would wear as that character. Yeah, yeah, she does look like a, a replicant in that photo for sure. Um, but it, but it is a great a great example of something really really cool, really artistically sound. Uh, that is that the pieces of it are generated through uh, 3D printing. So a lot of the things we end up looking at, the the, the current and near future applications of uh, 3D printing involve printing out the pieces that are then assembled to create the finished product. Yeah, like guns, right? Because guns, um, yes. this is and this is a, a very uh, loaded, no pun intended, topic here because 3D printing makes obtaining an actual working gun really easy yeah. because you can get gun kits, right? But there are certain parts of the gun that cannot be supplied uh, because you can't just put together a semi-automatic firearm. Although, in the case of 3D printing, you can print the receiver of an AR-15, and this is one of the most restricted pieces of semi-automatic firearms. Yeah, there are a couple of different projects with the goal of creating um, working 3D printed firearms. One is called D- Defense Distributed, and one is called uh, Have Blue. And uh, they're both pretty. It's really hard to, to get a. I, I get the sense that that both of these projects are as much about exploring and publicizing and causing uh, and stirring public uh, conversation mm-hmm. about uh, about 3D printing uh, as, as opposed to actually like, hey guys, let's make a bunch of guns. Like the, these are not these are not international terrorists uh, <laughs> here or anything. But uh, but it's a, but it is an interesting idea because some people are worried about this. Some people are saying, well, what are we going to do when we reach the point where we can everyone can print out a gun at their home? And, uh, you know, we, we frequently find that technology gets here before legislation catches up with it, mm-hmm. before even uh, culture catches up with it, with it and realizes how to handle it. Like right now, you could probably print a pretty good shiv or knife without question with a 3D printer. But they're talking about, uh, indeed, printing out all the pieces you would need to create a gun, except for the, the, the bullets, of course, because you know, there are chemical components there. Now, uh, the gun, this particular gun was tested, and um, it was... Sh- fired six times before it fell apart. Yeah. So, of course, people are like, oh, it's nothing to worry about. But then people are like, well, it is actually because this is just the beginnings of this technology and this ability to, to uh Yeah, because there's their work. Because I think the thing was that basically the, the force of firing mm-hmm. caused it to snap off at the, uh, uh, at either at the, either at the handle or at the, um, the stock. Yeah, and it was a less powerful cartridge than is normally used. Yeah. So that, that, that also is for people who are saying proponents who are saying oh it's fine are saying well it's not even the right cartridge but, but again but still they they were able to create a gun that fired and to me that that alone is impressive because you only how many bullets do you need to cause irreparable damage you know how many right. bullets do you need to i mean you don't even need a bullet to rob a bank you know you could just you could have soap in the shape of a gun right so if or you're a duck. able to, yeah a duck i mean if you're able to make a saturday night special on your printer then that is terrifying enough. Though, as pointed out in this article we're looking at, Chris Anderson, CEO of 3D Robotics and former editor of Wired US, said we don't have to worry about it in America because right now it's far easier to just go to Walmart and buy a gun as opposed to actually figuring out how to print one out at home. Yeah, I guess you could say that gun legislation is sort of up in the air anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, it's, I think it's nice to look out, you know, five, ten years from now. Yeah, totally. Because like I say, the technology will be here. Inevitably, mm-hmm. the technology will be here before culture and law catches up with it. All right. So, okay, we're t- we've talked about guns, dresses, jewelry, um, 
gamer controllers. What about adult novelty items? Yes. <laughs> now, this was, this was uh, interesting. There was a, a Vice article uh, that dealt with this. And, and we're not going to go into detail on this because this is uh, – I, I passed the article off to uh, Kristen Conger over at the Mom Stuff, Stuff uh-huh. Mom Never Told You. So maybe maybe they'll do something with it a little later on. They can go a little more risque with their content. But essentially we're talking about the same thing with any of these 3D printing, the ability to print out what you want um, with the, the specifications that you desire in the comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. So take – Take those factors and then apply that to the world of adult novelty toys. You know, you know I thought it was interesting about that article is that they profiled several women entrepreneurs in mm-hmm. this field who were saying, you know, we see that there's a lack and, and there's this customization available. Mm-hmm. And um, the author, Kelly Bordet, she had a really interesting take at the end of the article to say that um, – there's there's kind of two directions here going on when you think about adult novelty toys and you think about this technology. She says there's a camp that utilizes it to capture reality and provide normal people with the opportunity to possess a hyper-realistic object that reflects their anatomy. And she says it's, it's grounded in the the um, this idea that there's something meaningful in possessing a physical extension of our bodies. And then she says there's another camp that says that um, there's an emerging open source design which reimagines what a sex object can be. Like, for instance, Freud's bust or Justin Bieber's I saw head. that, yes. Because and there's a whole website already that yeah. has different CAD files that you can download and, and print. And I'm sorry, I just had to say that. But <laughs> I did, because uh, I'm reading her quote. Um, but she says that these are creative innovators and they're newcomers to the sex industry. She says they're pushing forward the vision of a sex toy, for better or worse. Yeah. I thought that was going to be interesting because that really, at the end of the day, when you're talking about customization and you're talking about uh, creating your heart's desire and you're talking about imagination, this really does allow someone to take it to the nth degree and, yeah. and, and to re-contextualize uh, normalcy. Yeah, and, and it also comes down to who would... I mean, some people don't, you know, have no qualms about walking into a shop and purchasing such an item. Mm-hmm. Some people have no qualms about having it show up on their uh, their credit card history or their Amazon purchase history or what have you. But for some people, like just printing it out, like that's fewer steps removed from from either of those. So. I just see, like, the, I think the early adopters. I know I hate to say this because it sounds. Like I'm trying to be uh, perverted, but I'm not. But I really think it's going to probably be like seniors. Yeah. Because if you look at the data in terms of STDs, uh, it's actually the senior population that this is growing in, which which points to this fact that people are are living longer and their sexual appetites are not necessarily going away. And yet, um, this is a group of people who would be a little bit more modest or conservative. Yeah. I mean, although I would really hate to sort of walk in on my grandmother t- uh, printing one of these. <laughs> it's, it's still it's a, it's a lovely sight. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, this is not an area where lives would be saved. The lives may be made a little happier in some cases, but uh, but three D printing is also something that that uh, is already improving the quality of life and is only going to become more and more of a life saving technology uh, as the years roll on. Mm-hmm. For instance. Uh, of course, important here is the idea of printing bones. Printing, um, uh, in, in one case, uh, we saw a 3D uh, uh, printed implant that was used to replace 75% of a man's skull uh, in a surgical procedure. And this was, uh, this was pretty recently. Um, so, this, so this is pretty fascinating. Because, again, we're talking about a very personalized um, object. Mm-hmm. It has to be customized to fit 
a particular skull, a particular um, wound or a placement area, and and this is right up 3D printing's alley. Like mm-hmm. this is this fits it to a T. Yeah, and what's really cool about that is that the implant uh, is made of polyether ketone ketone, and it's a biocompatible polymer that won't interfere interfere with X-rays. So you also get the material right here. Yeah. Yeah, the manufacturer in this case was Oxford Performance Materials, uh, FDA approved uh, just uh, in the last month or so. And uh, it's estimated that 500 people in the U.S. each month could take advantage of this new procedure once it you know, really gets is rolled out to everybody. Uh, another current use is um, it is used in the dental industry in the creation of crowns, bridges, and temporaries. Mm-hmm. And using this technology, even long-term temporaries can be created now meaning that uh, 3D printers can really print you new teeth. Yeah. I mean, this is when we start talking about transhumanism and the ways that we can uh, augment ourselves, our humanness, or even keep, just maintain our bodies in the style of Aubrey de Grey, this is what we're talking about. Like, just go ahead and print some new teeth out. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing to, to, to think about just you know, print, printing new teeth. Um and, and and we're not limited to teeth either. Uh, there uh, recently we had well this wasn't recently this was in 2011 uh, in the Netherlands, but they were able to use a 3D printed jaw mm-hmm. for uh, an 83 uh, year old woman's uh, face. Uh, she'd uh, she'd lost the jaw due to some some bone infection, and uh, the implant it was really incredible because it's it has articulated joints, and it has all of these uh, these porous areas that are there to promote muscle attachment and then grooves uh, to direct. And the regrowth of nerves and veins. So it's not just uh, what's amazing about this is you know we're not just talking about producing a rough facsimile of the jaw, like just a piece of plastic or metal or what have you that we just shove in there, but a piece that works with flesh Mm -hmm. that uh, that that becomes a part of the body in in a way that, uh, that 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 other optics just cannot. Yeah, and of course that uh, actually is pointing toward like future future when we are able to get a little bit more nuanced and complex with what we can do now in terms of printing human tissue and mm-hmm. actually print organs. We'll talk more about that in part two. Yeah, now, and I should also add the jaw in this case. This was the uh, example that was printed uh, using titanium powder that's then heated and fused by a laser. Oh, okay. But I can't help but think, what if they had done that with uh, Dita Von Teese's dress? That would have been kind of cool. Titanium, bulletproof. You just can't stop thinking about the dress. It's a pretty cool dress. It is cool. Um, All right, so the end-all, be-all is a printer that can actually print out its own parts. Yes. Is this happening? Yeah. I mean, well, my my understanding is that there is a 3D printer where they say, hey, these are the parts made to make this printer. Here are the CAD files. Go at it. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a, a company called RepRap. And they have a 3D printer, and they they have open sourced it to say like here are the parts, um, so it allows anyone to to share the fruits of their 3D printing. It's pretty phenomenal. I mean, you would have to stretch. It would be a stretch to say that it's self it is self replicating technology. Uh, it, it is not yet. Yeah, no more than say a Xerox machine is self replicating because you can take the blueprints for a Xerox machine and copy them through a Xerox machine. But it's still it's still pretty phenomenal. It sort of is a, a foreshadowing things to come. When we reach the, the an age when we have self self, it is foreshadowing of an age to come when we have self replicating technology everywhere. You know what happens when that when we get there. Then then we have the singularity. Then we have uh, say, a robot to take the robot over, doom. Right? All right, so that's probably a pretty good place for us to start. We will pick up with part two in the next episode.
Yeah, and for the time being, though, I want you to, to think about this. What do you think is is the biggest threat posed by 3D printing? Because we, we don't have any problem going going negative here. Is the uh, is the 3D is 3D printing more liable to bury us under a mountain of ridiculous junk that we've printed out? Sad little Keanu Reeves. Sad little Keanu Reeves. Justin Bieber adult novelty items. I mean. Um, Every random toy or figure or amulet or thing that we just happen to see, are we going to be buried under the the, the vomit of the Internet? Or is the threat more uh, coming from uh, singularity, from self-replicating machines later on, or or from everyone being able to print out a Saturday night special in their their basement? Or is the, the, the threat going to be just poor design taking over and just our infrastructure collapses under it? I don't know. There, there are or is, ways to look is, at is it. this humanity's savior? Is it? it will it, it allow us to live uh, until we're 500 years old? It reminds me of the old song, I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I've got my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. You know? Plastic savior. There you go. All right. Okay, so... If you want to chat with us, if you want to share something with us, uh, shoot us a link, what have you. You can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Tumblr. We are stuffed to blow your mind on both of those. Uh, and we also have a Twitter feed where we go by the handle Blow the Mind. And you can also drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank <laughs> you.